Today, myself, Matthew Fox, will be talking with Paul Hoppy and Will Freeland about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Episode 5. All that more after commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew. I'm your host. I'm joined by uh, Paul and Will. Paul, how are we doing today? I'm good. I feel like I'm watching the show from the beginning again, and I'm very happy about that. Awesome. Yeah, I got to the end of this episode. I was either like, Paul's either going to love this or hate this episode. So I'm glad it was that reaction. Fair. And uh, Will, how are you feeling today? I'm good, man. Uh, this, this, my, my, I de- uh, for the uh, the new character cameo or whatever. I mm. definitely sat up. And I was like, ooh, ooh, they brought that person in. But we'll talk about it. But yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a good time. I, I was on record at the beginning of this saying, like, listen, I, I feel like WandaVision taught us a very stern lesson about, like, don't buy into theory. Don't buy into the misfisto of it all. Just watch what's on screen. Mm-hmm. And so I paid as little attention as I could to all these rumors and stories about the um, – the new person who were you know going to get re- revealed yeah and frankly having done that and cared so little the fact that it wound up being like yes yeah, a pretty big actress and apparently a role that matters a lot but who's on screen for maybe three minutes yeah and then just seeing a whole bunch of fans getting very upset like no we were promised something big this is not enough no no i was so happy <laughs> <laughs> just don't go that way folks just 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 don't do it the don't troll it. of it all yeah yeah I, I find it unclear how much this is, like, Marvel leaking stuff and how much of it is mm-hmm. sort of media just trying to generate clicks. But yeah. I'm super uninterested in all of it. And I was like, Elaine! You know, yeah. but, like... <laughs> um, certainly, certainly what I've seen, when I've read more about the whole thing with Paul Bettamy, like, in theory, teasing some big reveal, it looks like in the greater context of that interview... He was being pretty clear that he was kind of being facetious and that he was mm. probably talking about something like appearing right. with himself. And then it just kind of got taken and run with. But Wait, yeah, who knows? Something was thing. taken out of context? I know. In, in <laughs> that, fandom that media, no less. Wow. You're, you're crazy. Outrageous. You're crazy. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to dive into from this last episode, but I want to start actually by um, getting into one thing from uh, the episode a week before, episode four, because we had a fan write in. And raised a really interesting question that I, I did some more digging into and found a lot of people talking about. And I've seen some people posting about it online. So I wanted to um, – it's one very dear to my heart. So I wanted to read her question and sort of give my thoughts on it. But then would love to hear from you two as well. Uh, and the fan's name is AB and they write in, I've been listening to your superhero ethics podcast for a while and really enjoy it. Thank you as always. I'm also disabled and an ambulatory wheelchair and cane user. So I really appreciate what you bring in your own experiences as a disabled person to talk about ethics in the MCU generally. For this reason, I was really surprised when the scene in episode four where Io removed Bucky's prosthetic was treated so lightheartedly in your recent episode. I personally found the scene very upsetting and was reminded of times when people had pushed my cart, pushed my chair, or moved my cane away without asking me. Mm. There's really a wide response to the scene on social media and some discussion about the situations in which it can be permissible to infringe on someone else's bodily autonomy, which could be an interesting ethical issue to talk about, uh, as well in the lights of the means versus ends conversations that have been going on. And I think that's definitely a good good point. Like I said, I really love your show and keep up the good work, but there's something you have time space to address in a future episode. I'd love to hear it taken more seriously or with a disability lens. So, uh, and then AV and I um, emailed back and forth a bit about this, and uh, they shared some really interesting links uh, that I want to, um, that I'll be sharing as well. Because I hadn't been seeing it on my own thread, but I, I looked more into this, and it's definitely something where there's a lot of, um, 
discussion on the one hand from uh, disabled folks uh, like myself, who uh, some folks are talking about how it was a very upsetting scene and really bothered them. And then a lot of discussion about the, um, you know, the, the dynamics between a white man and, and, and a Wakandan woman and all the power dynamics there and the idea of like the arm being Wakandan and, and was it a betrayal and all this kind of stuff. And I think there's a whole lot of other stuff there that we can get into, but I wanted just to focus on the disability thing. And I, I think that AB raises a very good point here. And I was thinking for a while about why I missed this entirely, because I, I'm actually an amputee. As I think I've, I've mentioned here before, in my case, it's my leg, not an arm, but normally I identify very strongly with, I, I want to identify very strongly with disabled characters. And I was trying to think about, like, it, it honestly had never occurred to me when we were talking about that episode last time. And I, I think I think part of this is why, I think it is partially because, and this is something I, I've talked about before in this podcast, I'm often very frustrated with how disabled characters are presented in superhero and fantasy and sci-fi media, especially where the kind of story where, like, we're told a person has a disability, but very quickly they heal the disability with either magic or tech or whatever it is. And even if it's not healed, like, for all intents and purposes, they don't have a disability. And it makes that person hard to relate to. And I was realizing that, for me at least, and I'm, I'm, I don't in any way want to discount anyone else's experience. This is just kind of given my thoughts on it. I've never thought of Bucky as a disabled character. Mm-hmm. Like, I intellectually understand he doesn't have an arm. But unless I'm misremembering something... We've never on screen seen him having a moment where his amputation affects him in some negative way or just like changes the way he interacts with the world. There's never been a moment where I've seen him do something on screen and I'm like, oh, yeah, I relate to that. I know what that feeling is like. Um, and and granted, arm and leg is not the same, but like I, there's a lot of, a couple of disability TikTokers I follow who have uh, uh, prosthetic arms and, and their stuff I relate to all the time. And so for me, like, I don't think it's, again, it doesn't discount other people's reactions to it. It's when I want to sit with more. But, but for me, it mostly got me thinking about how I feel like I have never really thought of Bucky as a disabled character. Clearly he is. But because they've just never made it a part of a story. They've never shown him dealing with a world without an arm or dealing with, you know, the, the, the problems that come up with having a prosthetic or anything like that. So that, that's just kind of my first take on it, but want to kind of throw it out to you all and see what you thought of that, that, that critique of that scene and, and your, your opinions overall. I feel pretty strongly that, that Bucky has been presented with the, you know, I'd say all too common trope that I hadn't really thought about until, you know, we talked about it in the past and since, you know, mm-hmm. you brought it up, but that it's, he's kind of another case of disability as superpower where right. right he's he has one arm not two but then he has this mechanical arm that's like one of his superpowers and so right. they kind of play it like you know like like he's an enhanced person right yeah. um and they never you know they could have like a scene of him like taking a shower like if i don't know does he have to take it off like is it waterproof like if he has to yeah. take it off and do things that way like i feel like that would you know communicate like his actual disability in a way that when he's got this metal arm on it which is like made of vibranium now right Right. um i'm sure plenty of other people would appreciate a bucky shower scene anyway um (laughs) (laughs) but but like yeah i i I do feel like um i i can understand how how it you know how some some things hit people in a way that other people just totally miss right 
yeah. but I, I definitely feel where you're coming from where uh, they, they haven't portrayed, like with Coulson, I think, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Like, he loses a hand, and then he has, like, a magic super technology hand. And and that plays like a superpower kind of in the same way too. And um The the positive example I think we've seen in the MCU is Misty Knight. Where oh, yes. in the Iron Fist series, Misty Knight loses her arm and she goes through some trauma about it. And she de- it, it is clearly yeah. like something that's affecting her. And then when she gets the prosthetic, which Stark built, the Fist Company did not build, I will die on that hill. Um, <laughs> but like when Misty Knight gets her arm, like she has trouble adjusting to it. And, right. and she goes through the kind of things that, for me, and I think for a lot of people who've had a prosthetic, like, it doesn't fit perfectly. It, it, does, it takes some adjustment. It's not quite the same muscle group. Um, so, so, yeah, so I, I definitely hear what you're saying. And I think, I think that looking at Misty Knight is kind of a, a different example of a, a, a better way of showing, like, right. yeah, this character is disabled and, and we should interact with that. Yeah. And, and they, they really took their time with that as opposed to here it's sort of, um, you know, we see Bucky, like, like Tony rips his arm off or something, right? The prosthetic. Right. And and then Bucky's like defeated, but he's not defeated because of that. Like he got knocked out by Iron Man basically, right? Yeah. And and then, you know, then we see him in Wakanda with, you know, without the arm, but then like the next time he's like spending any significant time on on screen, it's like, "Okay, here's your new arm." You know. Right. So, so yeah. Okay, so um I can only speculate because I am not an amputee. Um, So I'm speaking from a very outsider's perspective. And I don't know anyone personally um, that is an amputee. At least that I spend any uh, amount of time (laughs) with. I was like, you know. Um, Yeah, we haven't met in person. That's totally fine. (laughs) um, And and also, I did... You've mentioned it in passing, um, uh, Matt. But uh, I didn't know exactly what your uh, amputation was. Um, yeah, I don't think I've gone into it before. Yeah, and having only like I've only listened to maybe like a total of like five of your guys' podcasts, so um, mm-hmm. I you know I'm not a true hardcore fan like some of the other people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. um, so in uh, specifically with Bucky, and then I'll kind of expand beyond just him. But Bucky, I don't even think has lived his life as an amputee like he's never really with the exception of his time in wakanda he hasn't really had any time out and about as an amputee he's always had an arm like he gets blasted off the train and when by the time he wakes up the soviets have given him an arm Mm, as a replacement so like sure at some point there's in his canon there is some getting used to a different arm and using different kinds of muscles but one that happens off screen but then two from our perspective he's pretty much he's always had an arm right like there's no there's no he's never spent any time because it's always been he's always been under ice or uh or um cryo frozen in the times (laughs) that you would expect him to have this like uh learning curve of having this arm so I, I totally get it. And so, and this is where my, what I'm about to say is, is where my ignorance of life as an amputee, uh, comes into play. But, uh, there's a part of me that, uh, wonders if it is different when 
your amputee it affects your mobility like mm-hmm. losing your foot or losing a leg versus losing a hand or an arm right. um i think there's there there are stories you can tell as far as um losing a limb in general but i think there's more on screen visual storytelling you can do if they're stuck in a wheelchair otherwise i think that's very true and i think i mean like you definitely still are an amputee if you have a prosthetic um but i think that one of the defined like right now we don't live in a world of perfect technology and i think um most prosthetics don't like completely replicate the the effects of having that actual uh limb uh and and frankly if you want anything beyond the very basic insurance probably doesn't cover it so uh, little, you know, a vibranium arm, I don't think Blue Cross and Blue Shield is ever going to pay for. <laughs> no. uh, so, uh, and I think, I think there are some differences between uh, different kinds of amputations, like you said, Will. I think, I think both of them can still be very life-affecting, to be sure, and, and very difficult. But I think, I think, yeah, you're both right, that I feel like both we on screen, as well as from what we know, the character of Bucky has never really gone through... I mean, sure, he has gone through a lot, but, but at least for me, I've never really related to him in that way. And and again, it's not to say that anyone's wrong to do so. And I think I'm really glad that this point got brought up. And I, I think when we do a larger episode, maybe on the ethics of the whole show, but maybe we're going to do something on uh, something else about bodily autonomy at some later point. Because Paul, you and I have talked a lot about, you know, uh, we might be okay with like regulating weapons, but what do you do when your body's a weapon? You know, right. how do you regulate someone who reads minds? How do you and when you're prosthetic, which is just a basic, you know, if you're like walking to a room and everyone's like, please check your weapons at the door. You know, on the one hand, your prosthetic is a literal weapon. On right. the other hand, asking a person to check their arm at the door is a huge violation of bodily autonomy. So yeah, it's like Lord I, of the Rings. Even... You'd re- you would you would re- rob an old man of his walking stick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, sorry to make light, but uh... no, no. Now I'm now I'm envisioning Yoda having his lightsaber and his cane. I was going to say Gandalf's thing. always making light with the mm-hmm. stick, so. Yeah, yeah. I I will also say that nice. before nine eleven, nice. Point. I would go up to when airport security was a lot light lighter. Obviously, I used to joke that I could smuggle cocaine into my wheelchair and no one would ever know. Because right. I'd go towards the security thing, they'd see me in a wheelchair and go, "Oh, he's in a wheelchair. Just go right ahead." Right. <laughs> I was always like, I can take advantage of this. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm now being horribly offensive. This is just my perspective on disability. To be clear. Um, but yeah, anyway, so AB, thank you so much for raising that. Um, I know we're not really quite getting into the meat of the issue you were, you raised originally about bodily autonomy. Um, but I, I, I but I, and although if you, you two have any comment to that, please go ahead. I think that's one that I would love for us to get into more at a later date, but, but I just wanted to kind of talk about, about why for me, at least I, I, I never even thought of that. And I'm really glad you pointed it out because it, it helped me see like, Oh, this is something I've been missing. That's, that's a really good point. Cause I can, I can definitely see why it's so upsetting for, for someone. And I can also understand why. From the Wakandan perspective, the, you know, I mean, you're in that fight now, and like you need to win the fight, but it's mm-hmm. it's, it's a hard issue to be sure. Yeah, I feel like as, we could do a whole. Oh, good. Uh, I was just gonna say, as far as seeing someone struggle with losing a limb and it being part of their like arc, and and seeing that struggle happen, Yo-Yo from Agents of Shield goes through that. Ah, spoilers. Oh. Not okay, <laughs> but um, I know I already said spoilers from earlier seasons. Uh, not I didn't that, finish Shield. Uh, well, okay, it also happens here in the comics, so I expected it to happen in the show. But okay, um, uh, it is absolutely not that like Marvel is like okay, cool, we checked that box, we don't have to do it again. But yeah. um, 
we do see that struggle and that uh, trauma more more so than we saw with Misty losing her arm in mm-hmm. Daredevil spoilers. But um, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, if you include I Netflix, if you include spoilers. Agents and and Agent Carter, there's like four examples of amputees. And mm-hmm. uh, the one you see go through the most on screen is definitely Yo-Yo. Yeah, I think that's right. And and her story was another one that I definitely um, uh, connected with a lot in that way. I, I will say, though, um, you said Misty Knight is from Daredevil. She is the one of the only things that is Daredevil quality in Iron Fist, but she is actually from Iron sorry, Fist. Sorry, yes. Well, and Iron Luke Fist. Cage oh my first. Oh, gosh, I'm so and sorry. And Luke Cage. Yeah, actually, Luke Cage. And the Defenders. So the, the, yeah, and Defenders. You know, She's, okay, the, the, the Netflix You think of it as the Daredevil verse, right? Her, I do. her losing her arm do. plot is in Iron Fist, too. Yes, it but, is. Yeah, she has been Oh, my uh, gosh. I'm so bad. No, it's because it's, no, oh, yeah, you know yeah, why? The, the, you know why? It's because it. Misty Knight is such a good character that I assume anything good from the Netflix Marvel is in Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Jessica Jones. Yeah. No, it's it's so true. It's so true. Luke Cage too is also my favorite, but yeah. Luke Cage was was great. I love Luke Cage's soundtrack, but um uh, the it was a very, very good ten episode show told over thirteen episodes. <laughs> yeah. They oh man, it's just they made him such a big deal and such a such an icon that after the first season it really uh drove home that Netflix was not gonna be part of the MCU. Yeah. There's no way that you that Method Man makes a song about you. And no one outside of Harlem right, knows right. who you are, yeah. <laughs> right? Especially when, like, we know that um, you know Peter Parker is de- is you know specifically like a New York City based. Granted, it's Queens based, but like in this day and age of social media, like it's all kind of one. It's all it's always yeah. been, but especially now, it was one city. Like, and Tony Stark's there, and, yeah. and anyway. Back to Falcon and Winter Soldier. <laughs> what um, I was going to say was I feel like we could do a whole episode on this one thing, which I think our point has – my point has been proved. Yeah. 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 No, and I think – and that's why I'm so glad uh, A.B. brought it up because I think I, sure. I, I'm happy to commit to let's, – let's make sure we do an episode about uh, bodily autonomy and the way it's treated and, and disability can be a big, big part of that. Yeah, I should also, I guess, um, to, to A.B.'s point, um, apologize for making light of it because it is a very uh, – sensitive topic and it's one it's one of the things that i just have zero frame of reference for and i i didn't give it the uh delicacy that it needed um i get that i get that and i appreciate you saying that and i um you know all right so anyway we'll, we'll definitely uh, again thank you so much ab for raising that we're going to dive more into it at a later point um but let's get let's get to this episode of falcon and the winter soldier um just first kind of overall thoughts what would you all think of this episode i like i loved it yeah. i had yeah. i had i had a great time yeah. Paul, would you like? I know you've been kind of on the fence about the last couple episodes. I mean, I don't know if I describe my position as on the fence, but uh, <laughs> just not, I don't mean that as a correction. I mean that as like a, a an accentuation in terms of like, I found the last two episodes very frustrating because I loved the first two episodes so much. I, yeah. they were, there was a certain kind of pacing. There was a, like, there was a thoughtfulness and sort of a depth I felt to how we were dealing with certain issues. And mm-hmm. then the third and the fourth were kind of, to me, it felt like, all right, let's have some fun, you know? Yeah. And like, we're not going to totally shelve um, the issues that we're talking about, but we're going to kind of like 
just kind of hit the notes and like aim for some plot points. And um, honestly, this episode felt like season two of Iron Fist to me where, I mean, okay, episodes three and four weren't like season one of Iron Fist, but <laughs> the, the point being that, you know, I was like disappointed and I felt like season one of Iron Fist didn't give the writers of season two much to work with really. Mm-hmm. And then the writers of season two were like, yeah, no, it's okay. We got this. And like, <laughs> then they just, they, you know, they kind of made something sort of out of nothing. Although, you know, Misty Knight had come over from the other series, right? As we discussed. Um, Falcon. But here it's like, I feel like episodes three and four had a lot of stuff that just really didn't make much sense to me in terms of, in some spots, character motivation, in other spots, just in terms of, you know, some, kind of the mechanics of the plot. Um but this episode, for me, it felt a little bit like a clean start, right? Where it was like, first of all, the episode had to begin with Sam and Bucky um, squaring off with John. Because if they were just like, oh, I guess he did that. That sucks. Like, I, I just done. I would have just been yeah. done with the show, you know? Yeah. And like them being like, no, you need to put down the shield. Um, was really, like, exactly how the episode had to start for me. And then from there, kind of just, like, dialing it back and being like, okay, now we're going to go back to a little bit slower storytelling, set up what's probably going to be a very intense final episode, which is cool, you know, that's that's going to be your climax, fine. Um, but it it felt to me like like they kind of only barely touched on, on Carly and what she's doing, but, like, within the context of where she is now, it, that makes sense to me. Um, I actually thought the way they handled Walker was really great. Um, I have a ton to say about that. Um, and just the whole, like, you know, Sam going home to this, like, real community and having, you know, getting everybody to help because, like, his parents has already always helped everybody. And, and, you know, there's, like, a lot of love in the community. And, And then Bucky showing up and just kind of being, like, you know... I'll help you with, you know, with what you need, kind of, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. And, um, you know, then their moments together, it, it just, uh, it was just a most excellent episode. Not to mention the whole um, Isaiah um, getting more of that, you know, the story there. Definitely. Also was very powerful. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it just felt like, you know, at the beginning of the show, I was like, I'm either going to love this show or hate it. And, like, maybe both. I don't know. It's <laughs> like, you know, like... Just because, like, the parts that bother me bother me so much because of how much I love the rest of it. And now I feel like we're getting back to that. We're clearly going to see Yori in in the last episode. You know, Bucky's going to go try and make amends. And, um, yeah, it's like, I feel like, okay, okay, they're actually giving me what I wanted. (laughs) So, you know, we had had our Zemo adventure and now we're back to this and, and I'm good. Yeah. Will, what about you? What was your thoughts on this first episode? Fifth episode. The, fifth, what fifth episode. Well, Will, what about you? What were your thoughts on this episode? Um, I I I really liked it. So I was I've been nervous about, and and we talked about it last week of just like only having six episodes, and the first two and the second two being so like different in tone and storytelling. How? You know, what, what are five and six going to be like? And if five is an indication of how six is going to be, it, I appreciate that it felt like they're coming back full, kind of full circle. Um, 
touching going back and touching on uh sam's personal life and 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 um kind of the they they do a lot of unspoken character growth which Mm -hmm. i appreciate because then it kind of it it demands that you actually pay attention to the show it's not something you can just have in the background Um, right there's there's a lot of storytelling going on 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 in the um the facial expressions and how they how they interact and how they hold things like um and we'll, we'll talk more but like when uh, at the beginning when sam is walking away with the shield he doesn't wear the shield he holds it down he grabs a handle and just lets it hang like because he still doesn't he's he it's not his shield at that right. moment and so and seeing st- little things like that just, just the the storytelling is just so great um and so i i had a great time just like pulling in every little detail i could uh, just watching that, but yeah, the Walker trial was wild. I thought he was going to break the podium, but he didn't. Yeah, we we I think all have a lot to say about Walker, and we're going to get to that for sure. And I, I think I'm kind of halfway in between Paul of what you're saying because I I definitely loved episodes one and two. I think I liked episodes three and four a lot more than you did. Yeah, I definitely felt like they were different, and I like what you said about the description of they were like, okay, let's stop with that stuff and and just have some fun. The thing is, I thought it was so much fun that I kind of didn't care. <laughs> um, and, and then also in episode four, I did think they raised another great set of very ethical issues to talk about, which is the only thing I look for in these shows. But obviously, this podcast especially, <laughs> it's kind of one of the lenses I bring. And, and I think my, my general feeling was, okay, that was a great episode. I'm just not sure how episodes three and four are the same TV show as episodes one and two. <laughs> and I think I definitely had some of the same concerns of, they're setting up these two great different storylines. I am worried that they're not going to be able to pull it all back together. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this made me have a lot more hope for that because obviously the Walker story isn't over, but they did kind of bring it to at least like the end of a chapter in a very satisfying, if, if, you know, not clear way, which we'll, you know, we'll get into. And then, like I said, being able to go back to Sam and this was clearly much more the Sam episode, but being able to very clearly like reference what Bucky is going to go through and that like we're getting back to that story. Yeah, I, I, I am now – I was very nervous about five and six. I'm now – there's always a like, oh my god, it's going to take four hours to wrap this up. How are they all going to do it in one hour kind of feeling? But I'm at least feeling a lot more optimistic about episode six. Mm-hmm. So I think in, in many ways like Sam is definitely like the, the protagonist of this episode in some ways. Like it's his journey we go through more than anything. And it seems like he's – you know, the main thing he's wrestling with is what does it mean for him to be Captain America? And as you said, Will, this time is the first time they really kind of explicitly name it, like, as a black man. You yeah. know, and the the twin legacies he gets from, like, Isaiah and Isaiah specifically saying him, like, no black man would want to pick up the shield. And the, the stuff that he's getting, you know, about, like, why he would want it. Um, and no, now that he knows even more that, like, Bucky wasn't surprised that Bucky knew Steve was planning to do this. Mm-hmm. Um what, what's kind of your take on the things that he goes through in terms of like trying to make that decision and where he stands with this idea of being a uh, a black Captain America? If that's the things that make sense, I think. Um, and this is how I feel about like life in general, especially being a black man in America. But like, um, it really depends on. It sucks because when you have the title of Captain America. It's very much you're going to represent something different 
to every single person. Yeah. And uh, that it then kind of becomes important for the individual to decide what part of America are they representing. It, it's And it sucks that it's under the title of America, but like, you know, Steve uh, personified the like the golden dream of what the ideal American is as, as far right. as like morals and what you stand for and all that kind of stuff. But as we saw, as we get into the 21st century, that is not the America that we live in anymore. Um, yeah. And so, you know, Isaiah's uh, perception or perspective of what America is for the black man is very true, but there are, are also other aspects of America that you could spend your time focusing on instead. And I, and I think, um, I think Sam is, is while acknowledging the bad, I think he's going to be trying to stand for the potential of the black man in America. Like I was, I was almost, I was almost uh, sad that they didn't, say well we have a black president because <laughs> um, <laughs> like you know 20 years ago there was no way that yeah there no one was convinced that we'd ever have a black president and then so it's like once we have that and and oh geez i think it's chris rock has had a um bit about this i'm just like now that we have a black president we you no longer have to lie to your kid that you could be anything <laughs> Like, and, and, and so it's, it's just like, yeah, like you can be a black Captain America because all it quote unquote, all it takes is you being willing to fight the, 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 the closed minded racist part of America and stand up against it. And, and when you've, spend 30 years in jail being experimented on torn apart um i i can totally see how you would be convinced that that's not going to happen and it's not worth the fight uh sam's story is so different uh he's Mm -hmm. he's led a different life than isaiah and i think there is an avenue for sam to to fight for his dream and his values but still acknowledge what people like isaiah have been through yeah, and I think I remember I said early on, I think after episode one, where we had just met Isaiah, that I felt like it was going to be important in some ways for Isaiah to like give his blessing for Sam to become Captain America. And I think this obviously went in a very different way. But but I think to me, it still hit kind of the same idea of that to some extent, Sam couldn't become Captain America without really coming face to face with that legacy and without wrestling with it. Being able to say like, yeah, maybe I can, I can have a hope that Isaiah couldn't have. But I can't do that without fully acknowledging and, and living with the reality of, of Isaiah. Yeah, when he goes, at first I thought he was um, going to kind of like try to kind of get permission from Isaiah almost. Mm-hmm. You know, like sort of to get his blessing to be Captain America. I also thought maybe he was just going to give him the shield and be I like, can. hey, I'm going to leave this here with you. You know, you deserve it. Nobody right. ever needs to know, you know. But, like, in my eyes, you know, you were Captain America every bit as much as Steve was. Um, right. But then it, it becomes clear, I think, that 
you know, he's like, I need to understand. And Isaiah's like, you do understand. But Sam's like, you know, he, Sam understands, you know, racism. He understands institutional racism and, and people's individual biases. He understands what it's like to be a black man in the South in like the 1980s, 90s, you know, to, to this century. But like, he doesn't know what it was like in 1950. He doesn't know what it's like to spend 30 years in prison while the love of your life dies outside of prison and you never even get to talk to her again. Like, and that, and I mean, that's, that's unfortunately an experience that way too many people have in, in the real world. I mean, with, you know, the mass incarceration and particularly of black people, but, um, you know, that. Sam needed to, I think, understand from Isaiah's point, like what, what happened, you know, and, and how did it feel? And, um, and I think he then concludes like, yeah, maybe, maybe I shouldn't do this. Like he's still conflicted, I think. And, um, you know, I mean, at the beginning of the episode, you know, Bucky kind of reinforces Steve's vote of confidence where, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they take the shield from Walker and Bucky picks it up and it's like for a second, it's like, I think you can kind of see like on some level, he's like, I could be Captain America. And then he drops the shield by Steve. Like, this is yours. By yeah. Sam. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. By Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not by, <laughs> not by John. <laughs> um, uh, although I was a little worried. I was like, please don't have John like get up and take it again. Like, I think this <laughs> fight scene was great, but it was like plenty long. Um, but then I, I feel like it was it was uh, Sarah, right, saying to to Sam like, hey, just because one person sees it this way, like he can't tell you who you are, he can't tell you who you yeah. can be, and you know you have to decide that. And so I I do feel like in this episode, Sam made the decision. You know, I'm going to be Captain America because I want to try and fight for what America says it is, what America supposedly wants to be, but very much isn't, right? But that doesn't mean that there aren't also the good things and that it can't be um something better and that he can he can have a a you know a, a place in that, a bit a big role in that, like as as a symbol. I think that's really well put. And I, I really like a lot of what both of you are saying. And one thing I just want to say at the beginning of this is, Will, you said before about how you, you're not uh, you're not a disabled person in that way. You don't have an amputation. And so you're not sure kind of where you stand on this. Um, for me as a white person, like hearing what you're talking about, I, I, I have that exact same feeling, you know, that I'm really glad you can share that experience. It's obviously when I don't. But I what I like about the show is that it's, it's kind of opening that up to, for others to kind of see and understand. And And one thing that I got out of it especially was – and this kind of go into what you're both saying about like the that Sam can have a hope, the level of surprise that Sam has about just how awful what happened to Isaiah is. On one level, it's kind of naive naivete, mm-hmm. but also it's kind of what you're saying about how Sam hasn't gone through that. He can imagine a possibility that for Isaiah is not in the realm of possibility. Um, and and I think that that's kind of an interesting show of of like the the difference between the two of them. It also now makes me even more excited for, for Young Avengers that we get. Because when we get Eli's story, Isaiah has to be a part of it in some way. you know. And I really want to see like what's Isaiah's reaction when uh, Eli becomes a hero of some kind. But, but the other thing it also brought up for me, and I, I didn't even thought of this until this moment, is I think we get this wonderful parallel of later in the story, you know, Sam gives Bucky this great speech about how like 
you know, apologizing can't just be for your own ego and to make you feel better. Apologizing mm. has to be about can you bring catharsis and closure to someone else? And I wonder if that if that actually is part of why he's going into you know, meet with Isaiah, you know, because like while he's talking to Isaiah, he's like, Let, let's tell someone, let's get some justice. He he wants to do that, like Bucky yeah. thing of like, let's fix this. And I think he has to realize, like, it can't be fixed for Isaiah. Like, even A, it would put Isaiah in terrible danger. He doesn't want to do that. But also the, the sense, at least I get, is Isaiah doesn't think that would matter, like to punish people now for what happened 40 years ago. It's not going to give him those 30 years back. It's not going to give him the love of his life back. And yeah. it, again, it's so subtle, but I feel like, part of what Sam learns in that scene informs what he then says to Bucky later in the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, this is where if, if this had happened uh, in the comics, this, these scenes, there would definitely be some internal monologue from, from Sam saying that exact same thing. <laughs> mm. Yeah. That makes sense. Here, like I you mean, said, we're watching it with uh, facial expressions, but we, exactly. in the comics, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, the, yeah. There's so much conveyed, um, you know, by the actors through through facial expressions in this. Obviously, in comic books, um, you know, you you don't have motion, so it's a little harder to to portray emotion. But um, not impossible, of course. But right. um, you know, the, the monologuing that <laughs> just makes me think: like, what would this show be like if it had like an internal monologue like throughout the whole show? Yeah. That would be like a fun like fan cast thing. Like you oh, yeah. like make episodes where like each episode has a different character's internal monologue. Of course, episode three would be Zemo, or maybe episode yeah. four. But <laughs> but you know this one would be Sam, and mm-hmm. um, I think this episode also does something that I always find very important whenever um whenever a show or you know any any work of fiction is trying to kind of portray the experience of like a group of people. Um, is to show that not everybody who you think of as being in a group of people has the same experience or the same perspective. Mm, yeah. And, you know, it's not just like, you know, a lot of times when you see people writing about politics, it's like, oh, well, you know, um, the black vote tends to go this way and Latino vote this way. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, uncollege educated white men vote this way. Like... <laughs> You know, and it's like these things are all obviously like super simplifications, but often, you know, you'll have like that. That's one of the things when you have like a token character, it's like then it's like there's this idea that they speak for everybody who, you know, for for all black people or all amputees or all vegans or whatever, you know, like um, not to necessarily compare my experience with anyone else's. (laughs) Um, but all people who want to tear down all borders and have an international world. For example, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think this show could benefit from having a little wider range of perspectives <laughs> on anarchism and anti-nationalism. But, um, but I think this episode really does a brilliant job of showing like, you know, a lot of, a lot of black characters having different reactions to what's going on. I mean, there's Lamar's parents, too, you know? I mean, that that scene was so heartbreaking. And, you know, their son is off fighting at John Walker's side, thinking it's, like, such an honor, clearly believing in the idea of America, right? Clearly believing that, like, the GRC is doing the right thing, that the U.S. is doing the right thing, that the Army is doing the right thing. And, 
you know, it's it's just there's there's so many different perspectives within any one, you know, group that, you know, that we, we make groups. And that's the reason we should have no borders or nations, but, uh, <laughs> or a reason. But, like, just, I, I don't know, I just really appreciate that the show wasn't like, this is the black perspective, you know? It's like, here's a character, here's a character, here's a character, here's a character. Each character has their own perspective, and it's nuanced, um, and it's believable, and it feels like people and describing their experiences and having their viewpoints. Um, and I don't know. I just want more of that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's so true. And, and Paul, especially I like what you're saying there about the, the American government, because I feel like one of the things that this, we've all talked about it as an ethical thing. And I think this episode is where they really kind of made it official is this idea of like, does the shield, does Captain America stand for the actual United States of America anymore? And, you know, I mean, we'll get into Walker's story in a minute, but to me, some of the most evil, like, on the one hand, I wanted to see Walker get punished for committing murder. On the other hand, the people who are doing it, the, like, the council, whoever the heck they are, are clearly not great people and clearly have no idea what Captain America is supposed to stand for. It seemed like they much more interested in the public relations of it all. And so I felt like on the one hand, we're getting this like, clear thing of, like, this isn't about being an American. This isn't about fighting for America. It's about these ideals that people associate with America or at least did 70 years ago with, with Steve Rogers. And, and so to me, it's also why like that last moment of the episode where, where Sam opens the box. Um, I, I think the general the consensus box? is, and, and yeah, what's in the box <laughs> to me, the general consensus is that it is going to be some degree of like a new version of wings and like his, his captain America slash Falcon suit, whatever that is. And I, I'm hoping that it in some way does, like it's not just wings that it actually incorporates the symbolism of Captain America in some way, because for me, given all we've had about it being like the American government no longer should have any role in saying who is or who isn't Captain America for it to be what Condon's mm. to decide that to kind of give their blessing to Sam being Captain America, both because of like the, the African connection, but even more just the idea of like, you know, Wakanda now playing this international role in the world you know, the Dora Milaje has jurisdiction where the Dora Milaje are. Like, that'd be a <laughs> yeah. horrible statement from anyone except the Dora Milaje because we love them. But, like, this idea of Wakanda now playing a much more internationalist, like, we're going to get involved when we see problems. For them to sort of say, like, you know, we gave the material for the first Captain America shield. We still kind of have ownership of that. We think that you are worthy. Uh, to me, like, I, I don't know if that's where it's going to go, but if it does, it, it to me would be such a perfect way of tying up all the things we're talking about here. For sure. The, uh, I just really wanted quickly to say that I think some people do know what's in the box because I think there's like a toy out there somewhere. So don't look at any toys okay. if you want to <laughs> not know what's in the box. I'm probably just not going to even go on, you know, any social media for a week because I actually want that to be an experience in the show. Um and will if you know please don't tell us i do not but... <laughs> well i know i know what the comic book captain america right. sam wilson looks right. like yeah i i think it's super powerful that both as like an a, a symbol of internationalism basically that you know wakanda's like here's your captain america suit it's made in africa you know like <laughs> i i mean it, you know if he has that and the shield it's like you know <laughs> It's it kind of underscores like the African American, you know, yeah. like nature of of uh, of 
the character at that point in, in I think a really kind of beautiful way. Um, and the, the idea of it not just being the U S government who gets to decide this. And also they really were very specific to be like this episode, we're going to mention the shield doesn't really necessarily belong to the U S government. It's kind of a legal gray area. It probably yeah. came from a different timeline. So, you know, I mean, we don't know. <laughs> true. That's a whole set of legal jurisdiction that hasn't been covered yet. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the one last thing I wanted to say about Sam also, uh, and this I, I'm going to give credit to, there's a, a TikTok uh, creator who I really like. Uh, he does great things. Uh, he, he's called Freddy's Roommate. Um, definitely check him out. And And he made a comment about how Sam's true superpower is communication. Mm. And I loved that because I thought, yeah, the way he is able to get through to Bucky and like I thought the therapist did a, the best job they could with where Bucky was. But like Sam's basically the best therapist Bucky's had and has like yeah. Sam will Bucky will talk about the nightmares to Sam the way he wouldn't to his therapist. And the way he frames that, like, you can't just apologize. You have to like bring closure to those who need it. Um, it just felt like Sam was just like and Sam was able to talk to Carly like. I like that idea that that's Sam's superpowers, that he can reach people. So, to be a complete nerd... um, Go for it. (laughs) uh, Mentioning that is kind of a fun, weird twist callback to Falcon's... Because Falcon in the comics has a superpower. Um, (laughs) He can mentally... He can telepathically communicate with birds. Um, it's uh-huh. really weird and really random and he almost never uses it, but, uh, him being able to see and communicate with birds and then saying that his, uh, superpower in the MCU is to be able to communicate. Just, it's just nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So let's talk about, uh, John Walker. Cause we, we got one heck of an ethical, uh, journey with him as well. Um, I, I have a lot to say about him, but I've been talking a lot about my theories to start our conversations. Let me just start with you two. What would you all think about the uh, uh, ethical issues surrounding Mr. Walker this episode? Uh, okay, so uh, the opening uh, scene where he's where he goes and fights Bucky and, and Sam. So okay, he he comes down from his high or his blind rage of killing the guy and he, but i thought carly killed lamar by the way he yeah. Did, yeah okay he, cool he was clearly yeah. lying right. about that and yes he, okay he, seems to think he knows that yeah okay so um coming down from that blind rage and him actually mourning lamar i was like okay like at least he still has like a heart for lack of a better term um and then but then he get he is able to go private in, into a private area and go all out fight uh, with Bucky and Sam. Uh, that fight, to uh, uh, Paul mentioned it a minute ago, it was too long. But um, it uh, 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 what's his face? John clearly was trying to kill both of them in the yeah, exact yeah. same way that he killed um, the Flag Smasher. And, and that just, that whole scene and the little exchanges here and there, just like, oh, I see what you're trying to do. Um, that just drove home, like, John, John's idea of Captain America and the shield is very 
not okay. <laughs> it's very <laughs> skewed. It's very he is he has demented the i the idea the what he has put on the pedestal what what I imagine all good army boys in the MCU look up to. Uh, he has changed it. It is warped in his mind uh, to a point of clear no return. Yeah. He's he's willing to kill anything and anyone that gets in the way of Captain America achieving his goal. There's a moment when he's kind of on his knees in the, the, the abandoned factory or whatever it is that they, talk, they find him. And you can see that he's feeling guilt. And you can see that he's feeling upset. You can see that he's like questioning himself. And when they walk in, I literally thought to myself, like, this is his, like, make or break moment. This is either the moment where he's like, guys, I I don't deserve the shield. And Mm -hmm. he can find his way to some sort of redemption. Or he's just like, nope, I made a heel turn and I'm walking on my heels. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, I think you're right. That's like, that was the moment where he's like, nope, this is, this is, this is who I am now. Yeah. Also, though, um, uh, kudos to him. Okay, so I've been in situations like his interrogate or his uh um his trial where you have people of authority that are above you just berating you and telling you how bad you are and um i have had moments where i've almost lost my cool but he also had the mental clarity to point out you made me (laughs) yeah you built me this way how dare you take this away from me that what that was my one like to him on that that was uh, i was like okay okay john i see you (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i I really liked walker in this episode not like oh that guy should be captain america but like i think the fact that he was a good match for sam and bucky actually makes a lot of sense like he should be stronger and a better fighter than steve was I think because like he was in peak physical condition and then got the serum supposed to Steve, who was like 95 pounds and then got the serum. Hmm. Um, and so I, I, I really, I thought that was a good fight scene. You know, I think it made sense. I think they made it a little extra long, probably because the rest of the episode wasn't going to have that much action. Just like the, you know, episode yeah. one where they're like, yeah, we'll open with a huge set piece. <laughs> and, um, you know, but the moment, like, it felt like he had this big conflict. He had guilt. The guilt was more over letting Lamar die, I think, than killing the guy, right? Yeah. But I think on some level, you know, I on some level, like, he knew he fucked up, right? But um, it wasn't until Sam mentions the shield that he's like, oh, that's what this is about. Even though on some level he knows that's not really what it's about, but it's like, that's like his insecurities mm-hmm. kind of like coming mm-hmm. to the surface and, and, and kind of like taking control. And he's just like, all right, well, I'm, I'm just going to kill both of you now because, you know, you're trying to take Captain America from me and, and it's me now. Yeah. And, you know, um, the trial, I thought like, yeah, he should get suspended. He should get prosecuted for murder, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like in, in Riga. Right. Um, but, like, him losing the mantle, like, on some level, it changes nothing. Like, and this is the thing, when when somebody who's put in a position of power by an institution abuses that power, that individual is sometimes held responsible. Too often they're not, of course. 
But even when that individual is held responsible, the institution is so rarely held responsible. Right. The institution endures, right? Like, the GRC seems to take zero responsibility. They're like, oh, it's going to be an international incident. It's like, yeah, but they're still, they're still holding their meetings. They're still voting on deporting 20 million people using military force. Yeah. Right? Like... They gave him the shield, they put him in the field, and they called him Captain America. They need to be held accountable for what they've done, and organizations are just so rarely held accountable. Mm -hmm. And and to me, like, I I think it's something on the minds of everybody watching this, but for me especially, like, I'm I'm in Minneapolis, I live not far from Brooklyn Center. Uh, Last night I could open my windows and get the lovely scent of tear gas that's being (laughs) fired by police into the crowds. I think last night it was pepper spray, not, not tear gas. Um, and, and you know, all that's happening more recently, but obviously the theme of like uh, cops or military like doing things they shouldn't do and harming almost always brown or black people and then getting away with it. As you said, the institutions not getting published, punished are, are a theme that's been with us all the time. And I felt like they did such a good job of without like lampshading it, but of drawing that connection with Walker for all the stuff you're, we're talking yeah. about there. Because first of all, the like he says a couple of things of like, why are you making me do this? And like that, that guy made him do it, mm-hmm, which is the same right. as like, you know, like if only he hadn't resisted, you know, I mean like you could say that you could hear him say that exact line of like, if only that flag smasher hadn't resisted, he wouldn't have had this happen. Mm-hmm, right. Um, it, But also that, that line that you pointed out, um, Paul of where he's kind of okay with things until they mention the shield. And he just snaps to this incredible, Incredibly defensive place, you know. Yeah. And and again, I'm 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 projecting like crazy here because I'm I'm watching story. You know, I was at a protest a couple nights ago where things were pretty calm until people started chanting about the police, and you could see the the police already in riot gear and holding automatic weapons in front of us, like visibly change their demeanor because we were naming the fact that like the police were yeah. the killers here, mm-hmm. and and so to watch him go through that of like, oh, you want to, you're now questioning who I am. You want to take the shield from me? It just you know, you, you, he's kind of in this middle ground of being a cop or a military, and right now the media is mostly talking about cops. We certainly have this trouble with the media as well. And it just, like, the ways in which what Walker's going through is such a mirror for that problem in our own world, I think is just... And, and what you said, Paul, about the institution not getting punished, you know? Like, we've got this trial now with, with Chauvin, and, and all the cops are lining up to say, like, oh, he, what he did to George Floyd, no cop should ever done, which is like, I mean, yes, <laughs> that's true. But it's also some level of like, no, 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 no. We, That's we also what happens fine. every single time. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Because exactly. It's, the, it's the institution saying, that's just a bad apple. It has nothing yeah. to do with us. You know, It's not our fault that someone couldn't tell the difference between a taser and a gun or whatever that nonsense excuse is these days. Yeah, it's like it's your fucking orchard. Take responsibility for it. Yeah, I like that for the bad apples thing. Or, or don't be it. They also say one bad apple spoils the whole damn bunch, so I've never really understood a bad apple as being a good explanation for why <laughs> one person's just like, oh, it's it's like, yeah, it, have you read their whole saying? I don't know. Yeah. When you get a lemon car, you get your money back. So, yeah. Like, I'd like my tax dollars back for training these people. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I will say, though, the flip side of all this, and, and um, Will, you brought this up, I was so angry at this show because they also on some small level made me feel sympathy for John Walker. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, he's and, – and to make clear the kind of thing I'm talking about, it's like if anyone who's seen The, the Boys, um, I know, Paul, you stopped watching. And this is a kind of mild spoiler but not really much of one. Uh, I don't care about spoilers. Yeah. Um, Will, have you seen <laughs> The Boys? Yeah, I've watched it all. Oh, sorry. Okay. I mean for the general audience, I care about yeah. spoilers. 
if you haven't, I'm, I, I don't think it's going to spoil. It's going to be a minor detail. I'm not going to go into any plot things, but like one of the things that happens over the course of the show is we realize that Homelander, who is basically like just the most awful person on the show, except the literal Nazi who later comes along, although <laughs> they're close to each other, because um, he's very much a supremacist. He's a murderer. He's awful. And you also realize that part of why he's this emotionally broken, completely monstrous person is because he had this monstrous childhood where he got mm. absolutely no love and affection. Mm. He was raised as a laboratory experiment instead of a child. And you have a moment of like, I hate you so much, but I also sympathize with you. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel some sort like I see you as a, tr- and when Walker was talking to that council and saying like, you know, you made me like this, you built me. It, to me, it made it like, this is kind of like a tragic story of his because mm-hmm. like, he did want to do good. He hated the fact that he did what he did in Afghanistan. He wanted to do better. It, I, I don't in any way think it ex, like take. He has one hundred percent responsibility. It's not not his fault. He's a monster, but he's that person in part because of the way he's been shaped and 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 built. And I just I yeah. like, God damn it! You make me have sympathy for this asshole. <laughs> it's just not a good thing. It, you, you make me have sympathy for this guy. I really don't want to have sympathy for. I don't like that feeling. <laughs> Yeah. I, I like it. I mean, I it the, I liked it in this episode because it felt earned to me. It felt real, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and when when a story does that in this just like super blatantly manipulative way, not to say that there's not any manipulation here, but here it just it feels like a real person, you know. I mean, there's there's tons of people who do things similar to what he did, just maybe not as publicly, and are eaten up by them and. They did them because it's what they were trained to do. It's what they were told to do. It's what they were ordered to do. Yeah. And then they get back and that's like, like, how do you deal with that? I don't know, yeah. you know, but so many people have to and it, it doesn't always go so well for them. And, you know, it, it's it's not like you don't still fault the person for their actions, but, you know, there is a system that built them that basically taught them to do things a certain way and as long as those systems persist there are going to continually be people doing horrible things partially because they've they've been trained to and it eats them up as well you know so um you know the victims of uh a particular you know murder aren't always just the victims right i mean it it can reverberate in, in so many ways. Um, and I mean, speaking of which, like there's always the family of the victims, which um, brings up kind of what I, I thought was a sort of interesting ethical thing that I, I, I might see differently than a lot of people, but um, you know, Walker lying to Lamar's parents about who, who killed him, you know, mm-hmm. and saying, yeah, it was that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, what do you all think about that? I think the sister knows that he lied. Oh, okay. Like the she, the way she looked at him, and the camera stayed on her. Like, yeah, I, I, she, I feel like she either thinks he's lying or she sees that he has no remorse. <laughs> whichever, <laughs> whichever one it is, she sees something bad in him. Is is really right, but. Yeah. Uh, My, yeah, yeah. 
my read of that was that like she blames him for the death of her brother mm, mm. um but i i could definitely see your your uh yeah reading of it as well i think i think if all we had was him lying to the family and he didn't lie to anyone else then and again and the sister doesn't see it because i think i i think will i i do think that's probably a good read of the situation i think there's a case to be made for telling them the the story that will bring them the more comfort mm-hmm. i i feel like i still probably think it's the wrong thing to do because because I, I feel like if you can do it and they never learn the truth then maybe it's the right thing to do if it brings comfort i think in this day and age the possibility of them never learning the truth is very hard to imagine um but i, I think there's at least a strong possibility that there's some value to it the thing is though with walker he's not just lying to the family he also lot like the the government that like his trial they clearly think that he killed the person who had literally killed lamar right and, and other people think that and i kind of feel like walker is he tells the family because in part because it comforts them but in part because he needs to keep his story straight because mm. he's he's lying both to himself i think to help justify it to himself but also to help keep him out of more trouble you know sure. and and so i i kind of feel like it's hard i think you're right there's a great potential question there but the fact that he's lying to everyone else dilutes the idea that he's doing this as a kindness to me Mm. that's fair that's fair for for me it seems like a totally reasonable thing to do (laughs) i don't know i feel like like you already killed someone that was horrible like lying to some people in a way that might make them feel a little bit better like i'm kind of on board with that like totally against the murder kind of good with the lying but i think you raise a really good point like about if they're going to find out later, then that's going to be kind of like a new additional pain that they have to go through. Um, I'm a little more skeptical in terms of them necessarily finding out because like it was just a bunch of people like in an abandoned building and you know, like who's gonna, I don't know, are Sam and Bucky going to come out and like make it publicly known that it was Carly? Like, I, I I'm I'm not so sure, but I could see how that could possibly happen, mm. um, and that's a pretty good explanation, you know, justification for not doing it. And you know, he definitely is also trying to cover his own ass. Yeah, <laughs> for, no doubt, no doubt. So we didn't get much, as you said, Paul, of of Carly and the GRC, but we certainly get a little bit of it on both sides. And I know we had kind of a, a really interesting discussion last time about like. Carly's motivations and who she kills and who she doesn't. And here she definitely is kind of going into some darker areas with what she's planning to do. We're also like, I mean, if you needed to stamp the big red villain sign on the GRC, we get that, you know, they're going to use the military to deport 20 million people. I can't think this is like monstrous fascist territory they're entering into. Uh, But also like Carly's now like planning to kill Falcon and, maybe planning to kill everyone at the GRC council. Like what, what was going to your take on uh, um, that? Cause I know you have a lot of strong feelings about how she's betrayed. Yeah. So um trying to decide whether I want to say this on record or not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. To any FBI agents listening, please remember this is a purely hypothetical discussion about a completely hypothetical world that has no bearing in any way, shape or form to our reality Except in all the ways that we already said that it does. Anyway, Paul, right. go ahead. That was so perfectly um, worded. I feel like you were re- you had that ready. <laughs> it's boilerplate. It's 
This is not the first time we've crossed this this barrier. Police have come to our door in the middle of recording the show. I've given it some thought. In which we are talking about a hypothetical murder of the president, Lex Luthor, by Superman. In reality, it turned out it was a complete coincidence, probably, but... I love yes, the idea that the, that the NSA is really worried about our show, so I'm going to run with that concept. Right, right. We have so many <laughs> listeners. Um, I mean, not that we don't appreciate every listener, and, and it's been growing, and we love that. And yeah. um, we're happy to hear from everybody. But, okay, so. <laughs> um, if you're going to kill people for a cause like this, which I think is potentially justifiable... Um, these are the people to kill. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know exactly what their plan is. I mean, killing Falcon, I don't know. Like, I think, I don't even understand what's going on with, like, Batroc and, like, Sharon. And that whole thing was so, yeah. like, what, like, 30 seconds of the show, practically. <laughs> that I'm just, it's almost like they're just like, oh, yeah, by the way, there's this this plot you know, that we're going to do some big stuff in the next episode in case you're not into all the talking, which, like, I'm so here for the talking. Yeah. But... I'm going to um, reserve judgment on anything that, that Carly is doing with that, because I don't know what the hell's going on. I have no way yeah, to yeah, judgment yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. But when the lights went out in the in the GRC after the one dude said the other, like, um, what did he say? One He's world, the one world, world or One world, one people. Yeah. Um... It's possible that I said out loud, yay, kill them all. Um, <laughs> and Lee was like, what the fuck? <laughs> but, you know, they're fictional characters, and in the real world, uh, I don't really want to do all that. But, like, GRC is basically, like, super ice. Like, yeah. you know, and, like, yeah, I think ice should be abolished. I think the GRC should be abolished, and... In that world, like, how are you going to go at it? Are you going to do that in some political way when they're literally going to use military force to displace 20 million people? Like, you know what? Like, there's what, 20 some people on the, I don't know how many people are on the council. They're clearly not all necessarily horrible. I mean, to some level, I'd say they're complicit, but like, you know, I mean, the one person's like, do we really need to do a vote? I thought some of that stuff was like a bit on the nose, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't know exactly, like, where does the GRC get its authority? Like, we don't know who the president of the U.S. is, or le- like, is it still that Ellis character? Also, are we sure that there has been a black president in the United States in the MCU? No, because I, but I, I right? just really wanted them to say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, word. I mean, totally. Like, <laughs> that would have been great. And... Um, so like the thing is, this is, this is sort of where I feel like the show has somewhat bitten off more than it can chew in like a six episode series, because like the idea of trying to overthrow, like explain and then have a fight against this international organization, um, that's somehow got control of troops, like it's just so much. And there's so much we don't know about it and the details. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just like, I kind of don't even know where to start with it. Just because it's like, yeah, they're they're fascist villains. Um, it's interesting that it's this thing called the GRC. It's not the UN. It's not the US. It's, it's a fictitious organization, right? Um, 
the same way Hydra, like Steve Rogers wasn't exactly fighting the Nazis. He was fighting Hydra. Yeah. I mean, he was definitely fighting the Nazis, but there was also this fictional organization. And like when a country gets de- destroyed, it's Sokovia, you know, it's not Belgium, right? right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not Serbia. It's um, so I, I feel like there's a little bit of kind of sidestepping. Just a quick um, thing I want to jump in on with that. For that reason, yeah. the whole time Isaiah was talking, I had this fear that they were going to mention that it was like a Hydra doctor. You know, that it was set oh, in yeah, some yeah, way yeah, like yeah. say like it was Hydra as part of the United mm. States. And, and the fact that they didn't do that, I felt was right. for the exact opposite reason of what you're talking about. It was a yeah. Right, no, the United States did this, not Hydra. Absolutely, not the, mm-hmm. the United States did this. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so but, but go on yet yeah, to your your main point. Yeah, I mean, my main point is just like. I think that organization needs to not exist. And if there's a way to do it without violence, that's hundred percent the way to go. Um, but if there's not, I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. and like, I think it's much more reasonable doing something against their headquarters during a vote for something like this than to like blow up that building with people you'd already tied up. Like, that felt like it didn't really make sense to me. Um, but given that, this makes all the sense in the world, yeah. basically. Yeah. That's how I would see it. say it. Um, I will say sort of how I would like to see things end. Mm-hmm. Um, where, I mean, clearly there's going to be some kind of big showdown between... Oh, did you watch the, the mid credit scene yet? Yeah, did you yeah. watch it? You did. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> so clearly, you know, um, there's going to be two people who are like, I'm Captain America. I'm Captain America. Um, and the government's going to be like, neither of you, Captain America. And they're going to both be like, we don't care what you think, which is fair. Um, only one of them uh, will I recognize as having any reasonable claim to the title. But, you know, and then you've got Bucky and then you've got the Flag Smashers and who knows who else. Um and there's clearly going to be some kind of a showdown, right? right? My hope is that, like, that goes how it goes, but that you get kind of a V for Vendetta style ending where it's not like doing whatever they do at the headquarters is, like, the big thing that makes all the difference, like, since we know that they're this big organization that has all of these kind of loosely affiliated members mm-hmm. um, who should be all over the place, I feel like some sort of mass act of civil disobedience um, is on the table and would be really powerful. Yeah. And, you know, like, I mean, they already have their, their mask, right? So, like, if you had, you know, 10 million people around the world... Like, putting on Flag Smasher masks and just being like, no, you can't come in and, and displace these people, um, I think would be um, maybe too much to hope for in episode six, but it's what I want. Yeah. Will, what about yourself? Are you on a Team Kill All the GRC, or what, what, what's your stand on uh, Carly and the GRC here? I just want to see who else is joining Paul in the criminal conspiracy that I'm not going to testify towards. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I <sighs> I'm not I'm not a fan of let's kill them all, but um I see it from a story standpoint. <laughs> um <laughs> geez. Uh I guess 
whenever I think of that scene, I uh, keep on going back to... Okay, so my my other podcast host, Steve, um, whenever we talk about... Or whenever he talks about uh, store like things you want to see on a story like uh oh i really want to see this scene happen the first thing he always brings up is like okay but how did we get there like what's what's the background behind this right so whenever i think of the grc like raid scene i think of i think of sharon and batrock and carly and how they're all in communication with each other to some degree and Mm -hmm. And so then I get distracted and I focus on that instead. <laughs> uh, That's totally fair. That's I want to know more there. about There's that. There's so much going on. Yeah. And, and like, I, that's what I keep on thinking about. It's just like, okay, so maybe my side theory of Sharon being the power broker is a thing. But, like, because how else? I, I don't know. Carly, I appreciate that they showed Carly using some tech and coordinating people <laughs> in this episode. But um, she's still so connected. She she has contacts with every single character we've seen on screen, whether or not she's involved in the, in the scene or not. So I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe they're, maybe they're going to make Contessa the power broker. But... Um, conceptually big picture uh i think the raid is going to be a great scene for a climax for everyone to show up at the same place um Mm -hmm. but do i support the idea no but deporting 20 million with military might that's not good like there 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 is not a good answer here <laughs> yeah uh I, I i and i'm not the one to provide that what works oh come on you're on this podcast that means you get to decide the the future of everything anywhere in the world that's the whole point <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> yeah i'm i'm god there's so much gray area here and i love it um i, I think there's, there's a couple things here one paul i i completely agree with you and i think that's why the the differentiation of this with the bombing of the building is so important to me. Like, I think we want to think that like, Oh, every person serving in the military, like they're evil and bad and terrible. And like, yes, like, you know, the whole, like, you know, you you sign up for something. It's true. But also like people join the military because it's their only way to like get an education or their only way to like pay their bills or like they're, you know, recruited by incredibly predatory recruiters when they're 16. Um, And, and, you know, especially, like, at one point, they, they even specifically mentioned, like, one of the people in the Flag Smashers thought about becoming a, a GRC mm-hmm. security person because they were like, it, it, it pays well. What other option do I have? So I feel like I – part of why the bombing really bothers me is I'm like, I, I don't think those people are your enemy. Like, they're they're wearing the uniform of your enemy, but they're not the people you hate. And so, like, yeah, if you want to, like – the people who are saying, like, yeah – let's deport 20 million people and we know that they don't have good enough refugee facilities yet, but let's do it. Yeah. Shoot them in the head. I mean, better to arrest them, better to arrest them if we can. But like, those are enemy. Those are people committing like heinous war crimes. And I would much rather see them arrested. I would much rather see like justice served in some way, but if they die as part of the fight, I'm going to shed no tears because like, even if you want to like, I don't, I do think the mass deportations we do in this country are, are evil as hell and fascist. But even if you don't want to agree with me on that, like 
they clearly say here that these people understand that the government facility, the refugee facilities are not ready to, to hold this, that they're going to be like creating life threatening, like horrible conditions for 20 million people. And these folks are OK with that. Like, yeah, yeah people will die. Like, yeah. yeah. And that's for sure. And so, yeah, like if you can stop this from happening, yeah, do it. And like if you I don't want you to kill people to do that. But if you do like that's that's. You know, you kill a few people to save a whole lot more. I don't think it's a game of numbers, but that that is one reason why sometimes, like, you know, uh, if you have to, if they have to die as part of the the, I don't want to see them get killed on camera as a political statement. But if like in the fighting, that's what has to happen. I I'm not going to cry tears about it. But you know, no one else is. um, No one else outside the flag smashers seems to be organizing or fighting for those twenty million people. Right. What, right. Like, where's the ACLU? Yeah, and I think, I think like, Paul, that's the point you're talking about. There's so much that we don't know. You know, like, yeah. we keep seeing that these, like, any park that, you know, Carly goes to is probably going to be filled with at least half the people are supporting her and have this app on their phone. Like, Torres was able to pretty easily get that app on his phone in episode one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is not a hard institution, organization to infiltrate. You know? <laughs> right, right. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but but here's the other thing, and this is the one I thought part of the episode that felt a little heavy-handed. I like that during the GRC scene, you see a couple of representatives, and I noted they were from, like, I think one was Indian, uh, and the other was from some other, like, people of color nation. Is an airplane landing? Yeah, I'm sorry. It, my no, my mic okay. is way too good. Uh, okay, it's, it's fine. fine. I can edit it out later. <laughs> yeah yeah we'll just take a beat okay i think we're good but yeah like but you do have a couple of people on the council who are clearly against what's happening or like at least raising yeah. concerns and uh i did notice i think one of them's indian i think they're both from um uh, countries that are primarily people of color and you're right paul maybe the, the idea is supposed to be that they're complicit maybe the idea is but but actually what i thought they were saying was carly thinks that they're all the same and this scene it was felt like a kind of heavy-handed way of saying us like no, see this is how Carly is too extremist because even on the mm. council there are some people who are not as evil and they do want to do good and I felt like okay Marvel if you want to give us that story then it can't be a five minute story you need to spend a whole yeah. episode <laughs> with the GRC and and Carly yeah. and let us see who these people are um, yeah but yeah I, th- I think that's it's I'm glad that we're taking the fight to the leaders and I'm glad that we're naming you know mass deportation is is evil and is a violation of every possible idea of human rights so you know i'm glad for that me too (laughs) (laughs) um i think this is a good time to mention that we're at some point in the near future going to do an episode focused specifically on that theme yeah we're gonna do something on the idea of borders and nationality and we're probably gonna talk a lot about this show as well as the um the tv show warrior which Paul pointed out to me, uh, started on Cinemax, um, now is on HBO, has the Game of Thrones idea of how much sexuality is needed in the show, so uh, <laughs> take it or leave yeah. it on that regard. And violence. Like, there I mean, literally is a large part of the plot set at a brothel. <laughs> I mean, it's like yes. they watch Game of Thrones, they're like, cha-ching! Um, yeah. I'll also say the one other thought that I'm having, especially as we talk about, like, how much plot there is here that we're never going to get all resolved, you know, with Sharon and the GRC and the power broker. And now, um, you know, Elaine coming to have a major role as this countess. I don't like time travel much. 
But Tom Hiddleston is such an amazingly charismatic person. And Loki is such a great character that I have been really excited about the new Loki show. And I feel like at the end of this, I'm going to be like, no, don't tell me about Loki. Go back to the power broker. Tell me what Sharon's about. <laughs> Give me more of that world, not like whatever Loki's up to. So I, I right, right. like WandaVision led into this in a great way. But I, I, I'm worried that at the end of this, I'm going to be like, I don't care about time travel and Loki. Like, give me more of what's happening with the GRC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I love that Marvel is making a bunch of different shows that are substantially different from one another. That, you know, are going to have a lot of crossover. Like, there's going to be people who love all of them, but that people who maybe don't want to watch everything Marvel are going to have kind of a pick of like, okay, what kind of show am I more interested in? Am I going to watch like, you know, maybe six months from now, a year from now, right? You're like, oh, well, I'll watch this show. This is up my alley. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but at the same time, like, I like this show too much. <laughs> and <laughs> doing, I mean, you know, with uh, with the caveats I already mentioned, but there's there's just so much to explore and it just feels like i don't think there's a lot of shows that need to be like have 20 episode seasons mm-hmm. but i do feel like this is one that has gotten to a point and has enough characters and stuff going on that like you definitely could do that and you wouldn't run out of stuff to say yeah yeah Or I feel like at least what I would want is, and, and granted, this is now where we're getting so, because it used to be like, yeah, you'd watch an episode, you'd watch a season of a show and be like, awesome, I get more of that next year. It'll suck a little bit to wait. Now we're like, no, give us more. It, but it's not even like, it doesn't even have to be 20 episodes of this. But if the next show was Agent 13, you know, and it was going to be eight episodes about Sharon mm-hmm. and like what's happening with her. Right. And then, oh, yeah, yeah. And then sure. the next show was Hawkeye. But what Hawkeye is doing is about the GRC in some way. Like it, it, it it's just kind of like stay – I love the idea of like we have this overall st- – I mean this is kind of like what they did with Thanos in the MCU movies. It was like there was this overarching story and all these different movies were in different parts of the universe. But you knew they were all going in the same direction and they were all playing off of the same events. And I, yeah. I just want more Marvel shows like that. You know, I have a hope that Hawkeye – well, I don't know. Hawkeye might, might be going back in time. to No, it's not because it's going to be about his daughter. So <laughs> I have a hope – Hawkeye will continue this part of the story too, but and Loki may still be great, and I'll have fun talking about Loki. But the first episode, at least, I'd be like, "Time travel! I know where you should time travel to. Six months after the blip, go there, try it." <laughs> I mean, speaking of time travel and um, restorative justice, like I kind of, I'm like Sam. You know about time travel? Like <laughs> you could give Isaiah like a, a Steve Rogers moment. Like you could let him go back and like see the love of his life again like and obviously it wouldn't be the same and fix everything but like i don't know i feel like that would be like a good use of time travel that like shouldn't mess up the timeline too much (laughs) if if uh be like look you can't go out you just chill with her at home (laughs) if it was that if the story was that she disappeared Mm. then they could do it yeah. I, I also will say, like, this. I, I think you're both right there completely. But I will just also say, like, after the last year, like, the comment of, like, yeah, you can just go inside. It's not a big deal. It's not one I can completely agree with. 
They can just go inside. Uh, sorry, yeah, you just said go hang out they, they, can just, they can just stay. They, they can just stay inside for the rest of their lives. That's not a big deal. Like after the this oh, last year. oh. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I experienced the last year differently than most people. But I I get you. That's I get true. you. You're a little bit more of an introvert than some of the rest of us. I mean, I mean. Or a misanthrope, whichever word you want to choose. Yeah, I, I'm I'm debating the words, but uh, but I'm I'm good. I'm like yeah, whatever. Hermit in training. I'd like to go out sometimes, yeah. but like you know what, it's all good. Um, so we we've gone on quite a while already. There's just one or two quick little things I wanted to, to throw in. Um, and then hear from you all. What are the last things you want to talk about? Io when she's having well, first of all, like okay, what did you think of Bucky and Zemo? Because um, I, I thought there was a great scene, and also I think I figured out what was going on there, and it made some things make a lot of sense. But I definitely had some questions throughout it. What would you all think of of what we learned about Bucky and Zemo in that in that scene? I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I um, the, just every, everything in that scene was what was unsaid. And, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, I think, I think Zemo and Bucky had a full on conversation with their faces. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I, and I think they, uh, I think they understand each other. Yeah. To me, it was, I know we talked last time about how they let Zemo escape and like none of them could know that, but to me, I think it was a very interesting turn for Zemo's character clearly he's not trying to stay escaped. Like he very clearly was like, I, I need to go to this monument. And remember he said before that he was kind of like, you know, kind of like chiding Sam and Bucky that they hadn't been to the monument. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of like, it was a way of getting them to go there, you know, and, and Mm. having this last moment with Bucky of like, yeah, if this is going to happen, like I need you to confront, like, this is, this is what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Did you think Bucky was actually going to, Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say Zemo seemed so, like, kind of at peace in that moment. Yeah. And I think he was like, you know, you're... Bucky basically being able to say, like, hey, I'm not a killer anymore. Like, just because they made me one, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, and I think Zemo's kind of acceptance first of, like, yeah, you know, if you're going to kill me, you're going to kill me. And it's okay. And then sort of acceptance of okay well i guess you're it answered sam's question what about bucky i thought very well yeah i think that's true did you think bucky was gonna actually shoot him no um no i i very much thought he wasn't going to but he kept on going through the motions of about to shoot and i was like wait (laughs) is he is he (laughs) yeah i I had. I think the best way I can describe it is I trusted that Bucky would never shoot Zemo. I didn't trust that the writers knew that. Mm. Ah. Like, <laughs> we, we talked a little bit about how, like, Carly, like, would she really? Like, I worried that this was going right. to be like, nope, Paul's right. The right. The characters are doing dumb things they would never do. Um, and But, yeah, I, I did think that it was, like, important. And I loved the, the Io and the Dora Milaje in the scene. Um, mm-hmm. A, as part of the whole, like, the internationalist thing, I, I was very surprised when they said they were bringing him to the raft because I thought yeah. part of it was going to be, like, we put him in the – we let your justice system work with him. It yeah. didn't work. We're taking him back to Wakanda in prisons or maybe some worse punishment Wakanda. And the way they were like, nope, 
we're still going to contribute to this like international system of justice and we're still going to be a part of it, but we're going to do this ourselves. It was like, okay, that's a, that's another kind of small moment of Wakandan's internationalism here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although the raps is kind of like Guantanamo. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I get what you're saying, but I also really don't like it. Like, yeah. you know, I like that they weren't like, we're going to kill you because that would totally undermine um, T'Challa's growth. You know, right. and his, like, I don't want vengeance, you know, but, um, justice, you know, whatever that is. But, like, I, I think, you know, the raft just shouldn't exist, probably. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I do appreciate the sort of internationalism and the cooperation and the being like, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna put him somewhere safer that is, apparently internationally controlled i'm not sure what's up with secretary ross anymore it's been a minute since civil war <laughs> yeah. in universe so like i wouldn't like he shouldn't still be in that same position i wouldn't think um who knows maybe they repealed term limits during the blip but like um it just all seems uh like so many questions yeah <laughs> But I did enjoy their interaction and like, yeah, we're, we're just bringing him back to jail. You know, we're not doing something that would actually make no sense and undermine, um, you know, an important character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And such a small moment, but especially um, part of the conversation about Bucky's arm that we had at the beginning was also the sense of like how Wakanda feels very betrayed by like, you know, they, they shall not Wakanda as a whole nation can like feel one thing, but like, that, that to clearly like Dora Milaje and, and maybe who yeah. else, whoever else is involved, like, you know, they sheltered him, they took care of him, they protected him for two years, they gave him this arm, and then he, like, breaks out this person who's, like, now that Claw's dead, probably the biggest, like, you know, na- most hated person in Wakanda. Um, and so I really love at the end that she kind of, like, Io kind of gives Bucky a warning of, like, don't don't mess with us again, but also calls him White Wolf. Because yeah. to me, that was a nice moment of being, like, you are the the title we gave you. You still have, and and, and it's that kind of like if like you have a fight with someone in your family, you can either say like you're still my brother, but I'm mad at you, or like I'm so mad at you that you're not my brother. And this was right. clearly the first by calling him White Wolf, mm-hmm, and I just mm-hmm. thought that was a a really nice moment there. Yeah, for sure. So those were kind of my um, last little things. Do you all have any other uh, last things you wanted to touch on? I actually just wanted to kind of cycle back to the 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 discussion about very briefly Go for it. um of uh the, you know the the Dora Milaje um I I guess it was Io in that scene right um mm-hmm. removing the arm you know mm. Bucky's prosthetic arm and obviously I I think it can you know it can make people feel a certain way um, and I think, you know, I want to respect that. Um, at the same time, like, I wish we could do that to everybody who's trying to be violent, you know, <laughs> like if like in that instance, it was like, here's a way to stop someone from engaging in violence when we don't want to injure them. Um, right. and you know, maybe we're causing some emotional harm, but um, we don't want to, we want to stop physically engaging with them basically. And, and I mean, th- that's why I think characters who have powers that are like able to do stuff like that, um, 
are would would make the best superheroes in some ways but um i don't know i'm losing coherence <laughs> maybe strike this bit i see what you're saying I, I, though to have an off switch right yeah yeah like yeah ba- basically the you know just the idea being like if there is a way to disarm someone that's always pres- preferable to to um causing permanent physical damage yeah i think like and yeah and, and this is why i'm so i'm really looking forward to when we get into an episode of bodily autonomy because there's also the sense of like the difference between dropping a weapon versus like removing a body part you know but like yeah but also because it's like yeah. like even in the conversation that happened at the end of last episode of where people were talking about like what Cap, where not Captain America, where John Walker murdered that guy. Like I, I made some like TikToks about it and some some posts, and I wanted to say like you know he killed an unarmed man. Right. Is a super soldier ever actually disarmed? Like they can kill people with a punch. Like the. It, it, but so can a regular human. I mean that's the thing. It's like n- nobody is ever unless unconscious. Right. Nobody is ever rendered. You know. Um, unable to kill. impotent mm-hmm. right yeah but but i think in the um, same way that like bucky's arm is a weapon i think you can say like a lot of a super soldier's person is a weapon much more so than a normal sure. person but yeah but but i but i think putting that aside like one of the things that i both loved and i thought was a little bit of an ethical cheat in the tv show um agents of shield is that very quickly i think in like season one they basically invent stun guns like they oh, episode yeah. one two, is it episode one yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. icers like, what a great way for them right. to be like, we are never going to confront the moral problem that using violence to stop someone from doing bad things may well lead to their death. Because we're just yeah. going to, like, invent this thing. And yeah, it'd be great. Like, if we can have stun guns, like, you know, Star Wars does, like, yeah, you get into some great, like, you can end problems without doing that physical harm to them. Which Right. All. Although one thing that's always ignored when people talk about stun guns is like falling, you can really hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. You know, like, I mean, like you could fall down, hit your head and die. So like even stun guns, obviously, but obviously way less, which is why I think we should always try and use the terminology less lethal. Yeah. Um, mm. Instead of non-lethal. Right. But. I mean, like, I, I think we, we were having conversations before about, you know, like I bring up Daredevil all the time, but like. Yes, Carly's punch. Maybe Steve Rogers knows how to perfectly pull his punch, but like Steve Rogers punches a lot of people who fly across a room and crash into a metal wall, you know, on like the ship. <laughs> and then or something. are fine. Yeah, like yeah. that's They're just unconscious. Yeah. And he if, did if, kill people in Winter Soldier. The guy that he just straight up like face kicked and like sent him flying into the wall of the uh, edge of the ship, and then he snapped over backwards on over the railing of the ship and then fell off he died oh yeah yeah maybe he died he totally died i I mean to me if nothing else like i saw a lot of people being like you know steve rogers would never get blood on the shield it's like no if the directors of the boys or the movie logan were showing that like steve rogers hits a whole bunch of people in body parts with that shield there's gonna be blood on it like that's that's well, here here's the thing here's the thing. okay i've got i've got a bone to pick with that one are we gonna get into um, physics here okay no we're we're definitely not getting into physics i mean we're getting into comic book physics i guess <laughs> okay. like steve rogers if he existed in a world directed by those people first of all wouldn't fucking exist in a world directed by those people um but like 
would behave differently. Like the, I mean, here's the thing within the context of superhero yeah. fiction, just the rules are different and characters behave in a way that makes sense within the context of those rules. Yeah. And if, and that's why, that's why episode four was so annoying to me. Cause I was like, Oh, now comic book violence kills people. You know, right. I, I, I like and partially accept Will's headcanon. As, like, Steve's always kind of trying to control himself and has had time to train not to, um, you know, not to use lethal force, right? But to still use massive force, force, force. Um, but, you know, and he definitely killed people in the first Avenger, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that was that was just a straight up war. But, like, I, I do think that it's like you have to kind of accept that the character takes their actions with the understanding that like the rules of physics are what they are within that setting even if those rules are ridiculous and don't match the real world Mm -hmm. right and i I think that's a better way of saying what i'm trying to say because it's like with daredevil and the hitting people with metal rods it's not that i think that he's lying to himself i think it's Mm -hmm. that the show is lying to the audience by telling people that there's such a possibility of violence that does have that is no possibility of lethality that that absolutely a hundred percent. And we have established that the shield does not obey the laws of physics. Yes, according to Peter <laughs> that Parker, that is very true. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one hell of a frisbee. That's certainly for sure. Uh, to, one other last little thing I wanted to mention. I keep saying you guys can bring stuff up, but I keep having one more thing. Although, Paul, you you brought something up. So no, I yeah. I've had a couple one more things. Yeah, so there we go. Um, Will, it's your turn next to think of something. Oh, uh, you don't have to. We can end the show. Um, but, like, I just want to say there were two things that really stuck out to me about Isaiah's story. Um, one, he says, like, the thing that got him in trouble was that he disobeyed governmental orders in order to go behind enemy lines to <laughs> rescue prisoners of war. Yeah. That's exactly what Steve Rogers does in the first Avenger. Like, yep. and that's not coincidental in the slightest. And I just, I, nope. I love that callback. And the other thing is the way he describes the testing that they went through, like where the people didn't know they were being tested on and it went for a long time. Like he's 100% talking about something that's equivalent to the testing of the uh, Tuskegee Airmen that happened. Like yeah. a black group of pilots where the exact same thing happened. And I, I really like those two. Like one's a call out to the MCU world. One's a call out to our real world. But two just like wonderful ways of anchoring Isaiah's story and like very real things. One very One very horrific and one like showing how heroic he is. Yeah, I have nothing to add, but I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Will, any last stuff from you? Um, no. I, it, it was, it was, yeah, I get, the only other thing I can add is just, you know, uh, there's really not much you can read into the reveal of the, of Countess contessa valentina mm-hmm. de fontaine she's like never in the comics she got introduced years ago i think it's like okay. i think it's like 60 years ago um and she's basically kind of the shield love interest um of of nick fury senior not black nick fury but the white nick fury um and she's a spy and she's basically on par with like dum dum dugan in the comics and then she's like never used and she shows up twice uh in in the comics in the last like 20 30 years 
Um, okay. And so, like, it's an established character, and it's great to see. And it's and I love when they pull in more famous char- famous actors to play um, more named characters in the MCU. But like, she's a blank slate. They could do whatever they want with her. <laughs> right. <laughs> that honestly makes me really happy because yeah, like, me too. I liked WandaVision a lot, and I really loved getting to be a part of it. I was on all the podcasts. But I find there's something frustrating. Like, I want to just experience the show as it is on screen. And mm-hmm. I hate when, like, I'm I'm halfway through watching a character's story, but because I know all the stuff from, like, the comic books, because other people are talking about it or because I, I know it or whatever, um, like, now I have this, like, okay, I think I know how this character is, is supposed to go. Mm. And I was going to be, like, this week really trying hard not to, like, read any of the posts about her. So I kind of love knowing that there's not a, like – this is what her story is supposed to be. No, so expect yeah. that. Like, nope, blank slate. That That's a perfect character to bring in then, I think. So it sounds like you're saying she could be Mephisto. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sure. I, I think you mean uh, Count Fisto. Countesto. Count Fisto. <laughs> All right. I think we have uh, hit the point of punch drunkenness where we're going to wrap up this show. So, um uh, you both create a lot. I want uh, our listeners to get to find the stuff you're doing. Will, how can people find more of your stuff? Uh, I'm on another podcast uh, with my buddy Steve called Hype is My Superpower. Uh, we talk about the Marvel comics that we've read uh, that in the past week. And you can find us on Instagram. I think we are going to have the Twitter at some point. Uh, you can find us on Facebook where you can throw in some extra listener questions for us to address. And... Um, Find our podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Awesome. I, I want to give you one of my highest endorsements, something that I think we try for a lot on some of the podcasts I do, but don't always succeed in. I think when you're when you're talking about material that's a little more obscure, in terms of like it's not on the huge screen, for me as someone like who doesn't read comic books, a lot of those podcasts just go over my head. You all make it po- – like I have listened to probably four of your episodes by now, never having read the comic books you're talking about. And I was able to fully follow the discussions you're, you guys are having. And so that's I really want awesome to, like, to hear. give that as a shout out. Because that's something we try to do, I think, with when uh, mostly anything that Paul recommends is generally going to be more obscure. Uh, <laughs> although also I've pulled in like the Magic the Gathering storyline and stuff like that. I think yeah. sometimes we do a good job of, of making it clear. Sometimes we don't. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a great, great podcast to listen to. Definitely folks should check it out. Uh, Paul, what about yourself? Where can they find uh, your Tristees of Rebellion? Yes. <laughs> Um, you know, I haven't been doing a lot of political writings, but um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I stream a lot of chess on uh, twitch.tv slash zenmadman, um, which I guess is a game where you're trying to overthrow the opposing monarch. So yeah, there's, you, <laughs> there know, you, go. you can look at it in a certain way um, and poker and whatnot else. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Twitch zenmadman. Also, I have a Twitter. I don't tweet that much. I mostly just retweet when Matthew tweets awesome. about it. <laughs> and technically, I have a TikTok, but I haven't put anything on it. Yep. But I, I might put some uh, odes to Rebellion on there at some point. <laughs> I like that idea. I like that idea. Yeah, and so, um, folks, uh, as you heard, uh, we spent probably a good 15, 20 minutes at the start of this episode based on listener feedback. We love listener feedback. It's a great way to let us know what you think. Give us your input. Tell us about the issues that we're missing. Tell us things that you agree with, don't agree with. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Ethical Panda is the name that I kind of do all my podcasting under because it's uh, this podcast and a few of the others that I do. So you can find us on um, Facebook or Twitter by searching for The Ethical Panda. Uh, you can also look for us by – you can also email us at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. 
I also now have a Twitter account where I'm talking a lot about um, superhero issues and stuff like that. I'm also talking some about religion and my own ADHD. And I just put out something completely trolling the hell out of religious conservatives that I'm having a lot of fun with. Uh, people are coming into my uh, uh, comments telling me that I'm a heretic. And I just say, like, no, it's okay, brother. I, I hope you find the God of love that I, I do actually believe in. Uh, but it's just, TikTok, yeah. It's just pissing them off. Yeah, so TikTok, The Ethical Panda. Check that out. And the last thing I'll say is um, if you're, you know, got a few bucks and you really like this podcast, you want to support it, uh, it'd be great if you could head over to Patreon. Again, find us on The Ethical Panda and sign up to be one of our patrons. Uh, you get some great advantages. You get um, ad-free content because uh, you're already paying for it. And, you know, that way you don't have to hear whatever advertisements are getting thrown in. You can get access to being like, you know, we'll definitely mention you on the podcast. There's different merch and, and things like that. There's an outtakes reel. Um Paul and I say some very ridiculous things from time to time that will get us even more on the FBI watch list. Uh, so definitely, <laughs> definitely check that out if you can. And then, of course, um, we're part of a whole larger network of podcasts that you can find on strandedpanda.com. There you'll find podcasts about the MCU, DC, Star Wars, Star Trek, all sorts of great things. Uh, the newest podcast is Animation Deliberation. Uh, one of our listeners I know wrote in and asked me if we we're ever going to cover this new show, Incredibles, that's come out. I haven't seen it yet, and I want to. Invincible. But I'd say Invincibles. I'm sorry. Yeah, Incredibles is an <laughs> animated <laughs> movie about superheroes already. Uh, but Invincible, uh, they're, they're already covering it on Animation Deliberation. So definitely check out their stuff. Uh, and we're going to do some joint episodes between them and the, my other podcast, Star Wars Universe Podcast, uh, about the Bad Batch, that animated show when that goes live. So... Check out all the great things on Stranded Panda. The MCU cast is doing great stuff about this same show, going into much more detail about just what they love about the show, not the ethical, although they're also covering the ethical content quite a lot because you can't really talk about the show without ethical yeah. content. So check all that out. If you got your, you're up for it, please head over to Patreon, throw us a few bucks, and whatever you do, have a nice day. 